Hello, everyone. Good to see all of you. Uh, welcome. Good to have all of you out today. I wanted just to announce a couple of things before I jump into my message here. Uh, first, I want to congratulate. Uh, I guess it's private. Um, is that right? Private Judah Zaid Mohammed, who's here with us today. Congratulations. We just graduated uh, basic camp, I guess you would say, on Friday, and is heading on to his next post after that. So congratulations, Godspeed, pray for your protection along the way. Thank you. And I also wanted to mention uh, one of our dear sisters who now has uh, moved back to California, Alyssa Farr. Uh, many of us know her. She went to St. Thomas Aquinas and was part of our campus ministry for a number of years and got her master's here. Uh, she received her doctorate in physical therapy on uh, this past week as well. And so you can write her and congratulate her. She's in Southern California now, um, but still with us in our hearts. And so really uh, grateful to see her uh, continuing on uh, doing successful things. Uh, she became a disciple here in this ministry, studied the Bible, and uh, I, I can remember the first time she came out to Bible talk there at St. Thomas Aquinas, uh, was part of the softball team there, uh, and uh, was a great uh, part of our ministry for a number of years. So uh, we are in the middle of a series right now on Revive, and this has been our theme for the fall. We've been studying out Ezra and Nehemiah. We also looked at Haggai just for good measure. And now we are in the middle of uh, Nehemiah, heading on to uh, three more weeks of studying uh, this book together. Um, I hope that you've been enjoying this series. I know that I have. I uh, find it um, a good reminder for me in many areas of my life, things that I need to continue to work on and continue to revive in my walk with God and my walk with Jesus. Plus, I just personally find Nehemiah to be very inspiring. Uh, Nehemiah, uh, when you think about him, he was a person who, as we mentioned in the very first chapter of our study, was the cupbearer to the king of Persia, uh, and he really had his life set. I mean, his life was a good life, but he heard from his brother about the trouble of people in Jerusalem, which was his hometown, but a place that he had never visited, a place where he had never been, a place where uh, his family had been disassociated from for a few generations now. But when he heard about the trouble of the citizens of Jerusalem, because they did not have a wall to protect the city, he decided, let me give up what I have here and go to a place that I've never seen, to a people that I've never met, in order to help them in their situation, because they are God's people, and they need help right now. So he decided to use his gift, to use gifts, plural, to use his skills in order to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and to help uh, God's people, to help a group of people that he had never met. And I find that a really great example because I think it's easy to look around and see problems. It's easy to look around and identify things that need to be fixed. It's uh, easy to look around and think, oh, this needs to be worked on. But then do you take the next step and say, and I volunteer. I want to work on that. I want to help with that. Or maybe you don't have the skill or expertise. And so you think, I will talk to this person who has the skill and the expertise to help out with this area. 
and then talk to them and say, you know what, I'll help you any way I can. This is not my area, but I'm willing to help. That's what one of the things that I appreciate so much about Nehemiah, his life was settled. His life was complete. He really didn't need to do anything, but he saw a need and he left the cushiness and the comfort of his own uh, particular situation went across a couple of nations to a city that he had never seen before to help a group of people he had never met. And I think in our own community, are we willing to do that for each other? I mean, here we are together. We know each other. We see each other all the time. But are we willing to meet the need right here? And so we're in Nehemiah 5, 6, and 7 this week. But obviously, we don't have time to talk about all three chapters, or you'd be really hungry by the end of this sermon, okay? And so we're going to focus on chapter 6. Chapter 5 has a couple of more pieces of opposition, specifically opposition from within. And then chapter 7 is a list of names. I thought you probably didn't want to focus on that today, just a whole chapter full of names. Uh, And so let's look at chapter 6 together. Just to set the stage a little bit, the goal of Nehemiah was to rebuild the walls of the city of Jerusalem because the city needed protection. In chapter four, last week, Stephen Aguaya did an amazing job, presented an amazing lesson about opposition from chapter four. And he talked about the need for us to pray and prepare. And if you remember, the workers were on the wall and they had a work tool in one hand and a weapon in the other hand, repairing the wall of Jerusalem. So pray and prepare. But then after chapter four, they, had, they basically rebuilt the wall, but, uh, but opposition didn't stop. And so in chapter five, opposition comes from within, from the community itself in the form of high interest rates. Can anyone relate to that today, okay? high interest rates, but they were being charged by their own people, these high interest rates, which was against the law of Moses to do that. It's called usury, uh, exorbitant interest rates, and it was against God's law. And it got to the point that some people were in, in such a state that they sold their own children into slavery because it's the only way that they could get rid of their debt. And Nehemiah looked at this, and he saw the injustice of it, and he said, something must be done. So he called a public assembly, and he just talked to everybody about, this has to stop, and it has to stop now. And you know what happened? They stopped. They actually responded. Sometimes people will respond well if you just point out the problem, and you point out, this is what God says here. And they responded, and so they did away with all of those interest rates. But the opposition was coming from within. So it came from without in chapter 4, from within in chapter 5, and it comes again from without and within in chapter 6. Two instances of opposition here. So my lesson today is to, for us to revive victory through focus and discernment. You got that? Revive victory through focus and discernment. And all three of those things, victory, focus, and discernment, will work into the lesson right now. Nehemiah 6, 1 through 9. Let's read this together. You guys with me? Okay, here we go. 
Now, when it was reported to Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab, our Arab, that then to the rest of our enemies that they had built the wall and that there was no gap left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates. So the wall had been rebuilt. The only thing left was to put the gates in. Sanballat and Geshem said to me, saying, and this is what they say, and this is opposition from the outside. Come and let us meet together in one of the villages in the plain of Ono. And they intended to do me harm. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should I stop the work while I leave it to come down to you? And they sent me, they sent it to me four times in this way. And I answered to them in the same manner. In the same way, Sabalat for the fifth time sent his servants to me with an open letter in his hand. And then it was written, it is reported among the nations. And Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. And this is why you're building the wall. And according to this report, you wish to become their king. You, all, you have also set up prophets to proclaim in Jerusalem concerning you. There is a king in Judah. And now will be reported to the king among, according to these words. So come, therefore, and let us confer together. Then I sent to him, saying, No such things as you say have been done, and you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted, for they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work, and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. Let's talk about this for just a moment. The goal of Nehemiah was to finish the walls of Jerusalem. At this point, that goal had been met except for the gates. They needed to put the gates onto the wall. So this has been a great time of success, but the success found opponents. And isn't that always true? That success finds opponents. Some people want to ruin the victory. And, and in this case, opposition keeps coming. It, it came in chapter four, it came in chapter five, and now it's gonna come two times in two different ways in chapter six. Opposition keeps coming. Sanballat and Geshem offer what seems like a pleasant request, right? Come, let's talk. I mean, that seems nice, right? Uh, come on, let's meet, let's talk. Let's meet in one of the villages of the plains of Ono. I know. <laughs> And Ian was like, oh, no, I'm not going to, oh, no, 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 no. And uh, he sees through it. He sees it as a personal threat. He knew that his, his enemies were shrewd. And so he was shrewd also. And so he wouldn't even meet with them because they were, they were his enemies, because they were opponents of the good of the people of God and the good of Jerusalem. So he didn't even give it a chance to get into his head. Instead, he's considered this is a distraction. And he said, I've got a good work going on here and it's right in front of me. And I'm not gonna give up this good work to go and to meet with people that are trying to distract me. In fact, it says, I'm engaged in a great work and why should I stop that work to talk with you? So basically he says, no, and they say it four times. And so he says, no, 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 no. And then they send him a letter for a fifth time. And then he says no to that letter. So this distraction comes five times. And each time Nehemiah goes, no, 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 no. And sometimes that's what you have to do to opposition. And that's what you have to do to distraction. You just have to look at it and you just have to say, 
no. And the first no might not work. We all know that, right? It probably won't work. And so you have to say it again, maybe a little louder next time, no. And then it still might not work. And so you just keep saying it until it does work. And that's exactly what happens here. Nehemiah needed to focus on the right thing and not focus on the distractions. And that's the point. To have victory, you've got to focus on the right things. He focused on the great work. He didn't focus on the distractions. Focus is so important in our spiritual lives. It's so important in spiritual growth that we have to focus on the right things, that we have to learn to say no, 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 no to distractions. I'm learning in our backyard, I'm learning to play catch with our grandsons. And my youngest one, Tyler, he's really into it. So when he comes over, he usually says, let's go play catch. And so I bought him, you know, like one of those rubber balls that are very soft and easy to, to grab and easy to catch for his birthday. It's orange. It's his favorite color. Happens to be my favorite color as well. And so uh, I was happy to buy that for him. And uh, we've been learning to play catch in the backyard. And the first time when he was just learning, uh, I, would, I would, you know, get ready and I would say, okay, you need to get your hands up and you need to focus on the ball. Because he would stand there and wait for me to throw it, and he'd be like, you know, <laughs> hit me in the head with that thing. And it's soft. It's not going to hurt. But that's not how you catch a ball. You don't put your hands out here and just go, hit me in the head, you know? And so I was like, get your hands up. Get your hands up. And he learned. He learned, I, I got to get my hands up here. And then the next thing is, I don't know why, but he liked looking at my face. He didn't look at the ball. So he would be ready to catch it, but he'd be, just be staring at me. And I'd hold the ball out here, and I'd say, you've got to look at the ball. You're not trying to catch my face, Tyler, okay? <laughs> catch the ball. And so he's learned now that that's where you need to focus. You need to focus on what you're trying to catch. And so now he gets his hands up. He, he, he's focused on the ball. And it's amazing. In a short amount of time, we started by, you know, trying to count, you know, you count and you take a step back, count and you take a step back. And we would not make it to five. And then we got to 10. And now we can get to 50. And we're far apart from each other. And it's because he's learned what to focus on. And I think that is such an important lesson in our spiritual lives, because there's so many distractions around us, right? There are so many things to pull our gaze away from those we ought to be focusing on, which God, it's God, it's Jesus, it's the Holy Spirit. And we got to keep our focus on the right people, on the right persons, on God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. There's also detractors and opposition and even voices that can come into your, your mind and negative emotions that say you're not spiritual enough or you're not talented enough, or you're not strong enough, or you're not stable enough. We've got to learn to say no, 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 no. My God says I am spiritual enough. My God says I am strong enough. My God says that I can do this. In fact, there are victory upon victory in Christ Jesus. Jesus leads me in triumphal procession. I'm going to hold to that. I'm going to cling to that. And I'm going to say no to all the negative voices out there. 
That's what we got to do. We got to learn to focus on God. And then there's one more thing I want to mention here because it happens in both these sections, and it's so beautiful, and you can miss it if you're not careful. But in verse 9, there's a prayer. And I told you the very first time we talked about Nehemiah, it's full of prayer. He prays over and over and over again. It's a short little prayer. It's easy to miss it. But he says, but now, oh God, strengthen my hands. That's, that's awesome. That's so beautiful. I mean, he made the decision. He said, no, 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 no. And then he goes, God, give me strength. Strengthen my hands. Revival victory comes through prayer. Let's not forget that. We can do the other things, but we also have to pray. Okay, so let's watch our focus. Victory comes with proper focus, and victory comes with discernment. That's the second point I want to make. Revive your discernment. Revive your focus and revive your discernment. In verses 10 through 14, here's another uh, point of opposition for Nehemiah. You guys with me? Let's read this together. One day, when I went into the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his house, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple, and let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. Indeed, tonight they are coming to kill you. But I said, this is Nehemiah. Nehemiah, here's this invitation from a friend, okay? So you see, Opposition comes from outside, inside, outside, inside. This is a friend. This is someone he should treat. He's in his house. He's having hospitality with him. Within the Middle Eastern culture, to have hospitality with someone meant that you were befriending that person, that you were close to each other, that you agreed with each other. You didn't have hospitality with people you didn't agree with. And so he's in his house, and he's expecting him to treat him as a friend. And he says, come on, let's go into the temple. They're going to kill you. Come, it's safe in the temple. And look what Nehemiah says in verse 11. But I said, and I love this, should a man like me run away? Should a man like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. Another no, right? If you're keeping count, how many no's is this now? Oh, six, good. <laughs> Somebody's paying attention. Amen, yeah. Five plus one equals six, Okay. Good stuff. Um, and, but then in look in verse 12, I find this so interesting. Then I perceived, another word for that is discerned. I perceived, I discerned, and saw that God had not sent him at all. But he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He was hired for this purpose, to intimidate me and to make me sin by acting in this way. And so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, oh my God, according to these things that they did. And also the, prophet, uh, the prophetess um, Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. And so I've set the, the context here a little bit. Uh, here's, here's a friend, should be a friend, invites him uh, into his house and says, let's go into the temple together. But what I, want you to, uh, what I want to do right now is teach you a mini lesson within the lesson. That's awesome, right? I mean, you're getting two sermons today, okay? You're getting a lesson within a lesson. And I want to teach you right now how to have spiritual discernment. Because honestly, spiritual discernment is one of the most important aspects of spiritual growth. 
You have to be able to say no to things that are wrong and yes to things that are good. But sometimes it's hard to know the difference, right? So how do we learn? How do we know? How do we discern between evil and righteousness? How do we discern between uh, goodness uh, and, and wrongness, okay? Between bad and good. How do we make that discernment? I went and I, I, I read this um, really, really deep book this week called Spiritual Theology. I don't recommend it to anyone, okay? Because it is, a, it is a, an academic book, okay? But it's by Sam, Simon Chan, and he had this whole chapter on spiritual discernment. And I thought, this is awesome. I'm going to learn so much about spiritual discernment from this theologian right here. I read it, and I was so disappointed. <laughs> he taught me basically nothing. It just wasn't very good. It wasn't very well written. I wondered if he even believed in evil, you know, after, after I was reading it a bit. But then I read Nehemiah, and I'm like, boom, there it is, right there in the text. This is from God, how you have spiritual discernment in your life. And there's three steps. Three steps for spiritual discernment. You guys ready for the lesson within the lesson? Okay, this is golden, right? You're getting a lesson within a lesson right now. How do we become people of spiritual discernment? First, you pause. You pause. Okay, you just stop for a minute. Now, as a people, generally, we're not very good at that. We're not even very good at teaching about that. We're like, just plow ahead, just keep going, just go on. But there are times where you just need to pause. You just need to stop. And you need to ask, what's my next move? What am I supposed to do here? Who's right? Who's wrong? Where's the good? Where's the evil? I, I just need, to, I need a moment to think about this. And that's what Nehemiah did. The first thing he did was he paused. Here's a situation in which he thinks he's with a friend, but he's not with a friend. And so he stopped. He just stopped. The, the friend said, let's go to the temple. And he didn't say, great, let's go. He said, well, I, I need to think about that. He paused. And that's the first step to discernment is you got to stop. Just stop where you are and think, what's my next move? And he stopped and he thought about it. He reflected a little bit. Nehemiah didn't blindly follow Shemaiah into the temple. Instead, he paused. You know, sometimes when you're on your job, somebody asks you to do something, and you wonder, I mean, in, in your mind, you had that thought, should I do this or not? And you need to follow that thought. You need to pause, because you know it's a lie, and they're trying to, they're, they're asking you to, to, to lie for them. And so you need to pause on that, and just think, is this job worth my integrity? Is it? worth me lying for him or for her. You need to stop and you need to pause. Sometimes when you're at home and your uh, children get you angry, did that happen? <laughs> you need to hit the pause button and you think, okay, anger, it comes, it happens, it's an emotion, but what am I going to do with it? And I, I'm just going to pause right here. And sometimes, you know, teens and others, your parents make you angry. I, I imagine, I'm not sure, but I imagine that that happens and you need to pause. Think about what, what you want to say next. Think about how you want to act next. Think about it, but hit the pause button and just, okay, what's, what's my next move? What am I going to do here? 
We need spiritual discernment in these situations. And that's what Nehemiah did. So that's the first thing. Pause. Second, you guys with me? Here we go. Here's number two. You can write this down. Ask good questions. Ask good questions. I love what Nehemiah does here. I love the questions that he asks. And they're so appropriate. So he pauses, but then he asks really good questions. He said, should a man like me run away? Well, that's a good question. Here I am. I'm trying to be a leader. I'm trying to be a spiritual person. I'm trying to be a person of integrity. Should I just run into the temple and hide? I mean, I've asked my, my I've asked the workers to go out and work on the wall. And they got to, <laughs> and I love this. And he's probably picturing this. The workers are, have been on the wall all this time with a working instrument, a trawl or something like that in one hand and a sword in the other hand, and I'm going to run, and I'm going to hide? No, I'm not going to do that. I'm, I've been working on the wall with them. I'm not going to run now. I'm not going to hide now. And so he considers his own integrity. He considers his own honor, and he considers also the honor of God as a spiritual leader. And he says, that, that's not what I'm going to do. But it's a good question, right? Is this right for me to run? And I love his second question also. It says, should a man like me run into the temple to save my life? That's actually a biblical question because it was only the priest were supposed to go into the temple. He knew that. He was not a priest. Now, it's very likely that Shemaiah was a priest because when you look at the two other names, one of them is listed in a list of priests before this. And so it's likely that his grandfather was a priest which guess what? Would have made him a priest. So it's very likely that he is a priest and he goes in and out of the temple all the time, but he's not supposed to take someone with him. And Nehemiah knew that. Nehemiah knew the law. Nehemiah knew that that was not the answer. It's not the answer to break God's law. It's not the answer to go against God's law. He knew that one of the kings of Israel went into the temple. And you know what happened? God struck him down with leprosy. He knew that. He knew that story. And so he's like, well, is it okay for me to run into the temple? And he's like, no, it's not. It's not okay. So ultimately, Nehemiah fought off the opposition with, by pausing and also by asking good questions. But there's one more point, and I love this in the story, in the text. Look, first he says, first he pauses, then he asks questions. And then third, this is the third point. God gives discernment. Okay, God gives discernment. In verse 12, you guys still with me? Okay, I, I, I'm, I'll, I'll wrap all this up. Then I perceived and saw that God had not sent him, sent him at all. Discernment came, but notice discernment came after pausing and reflecting. What happens with us many times is, we discern and see, and then we realize, uh-oh, I already made the mistake. Uh-oh, I already did what I wasn't supposed to do. Oh, I already went against the law of God. And then we start pausing and thinking about what's going to happen to me now. It's better to pause and think and question before you act. And that's exactly what Nehemiah does here. And God gives the discernment. So if you're in that situation, whether it's at work or at home, or at school, and you're trying to discern what is right, 
What is the right option here? Pause, ask good questions, and then look to the Holy Spirit for an answer. And I believe that with all my heart, that it's the Holy Spirit that gives you an answer. He will lean into you if you will lean into him. The Holy Spirit works in our lives. I mean, we've been given the Holy Spirit for a purpose and for a reason. And so trust that. Trust that he is your counselor, that he is your guide, that he will help you in tough times, that at times when you don't even know what to pray, he'll go to God with words that you cannot utter. He is your friend. Trust in the Holy Spirit and look to him for discernment. And that discernment might come in a number of different ways. The Holy Spirit might speak to you in a number of different ways. He might just give you clarity. He might just reveal the enemy in front of you. He might speak to you through a friend. I mean, God has spoken through donkeys before. God can do amazing things. Look for God to speak. Look for God to help you. So those are the three. That's my lesson within a lesson. Pretty awesome, right? That's pretty cool, right? Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. So pause, ask good questions, and then God will give you discernment. And then I just have to point out, this is such a great scripture here. There's just too much to talk about. But there's one more point, and that is, again, ultimately, Nehemiah prayed. He prayed again after this bout of opposition. In verse 14, that's a prayer. He's speaking to God there. He's not just talking to the air. He's saying, remember Tobiah and Sabalat, oh my God, according to these things that they did. And also the prophetess Noidea and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. He says, God, you remember them. Remember what they did. And in, in the very next, it's so beautiful. There's so much great stuff in this passage. It's so beautiful. Because in the very next passage, they start being afraid. They hear about the wall being built in 52 days. So we got to read this, right? We got to finish out with this. I'll be quick. Nehemiah 6, 15 through 16. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month, Elul, in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, including Sanballat, okay, all the nations around us were afraid. He prays, remember them. Let them be afraid. And in the very next passage, they are afraid. That's the power of prayer. And fell greatly into their own, in their own esteem. So they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of God. Ultimately, God gets the victory because God deserves the victory. And that's true in all of our lives. But notice the victory. Don't, don't look over the victory. On October 2nd, 445 B.C., the walls were finished. That happened in just, just 52 days. It took almost 20, that hasn't happened throughout this book, okay? Get that. It didn't happen in Ezra, hasn't happened yet in Nehemiah, okay? It took almost 20 years for the temple to get rebuilt. I mean, it was, it was just start, stop, start, stop, but not with this. Nehemiah got in there, and in 52 days, God gave them a victory. This victory came about in a very short amount of time because of Nehemiah's leadership, but also mostly because of God and God accomplishing through Nehemiah what didn't happen even in the book of Ezra and doesn't often happen. So it's no longer Nehemiah or the people of God who are afraid. Now it's the enemies of God. Now it's the opposition and they're afraid. 
And they, they look around and they realize, uh-oh, and it says their esteem fell. They thought they were something else, but now they realize we haven't accomplished what we wanted to accomplish. And they realize they even gave God the credit. That's what it says here. They realized, the opposition realized this could only happen with the help of God. And when you realize that, it kind of makes you a bit afraid, right? <laughs> Uh-oh, this shows their God is superior to our God. We need to think about that, and we need to actually be afraid there. God wants us to be victorious people. He wants us to be a victorious community. It doesn't mean there won't be hardships. It doesn't mean there won't be struggles. There always are. But ultimately, he is a God of victory. I appreciate last week our chili challenge and dessert contest. I appreciate it because it was a great victory for us. We hadn't done it in years. We decided to revive it. And man, you guys came through. And with the help of God, it was a tremendous, tremendous day. I am still tasting and my sense buds are still keenly aware of Sissy Hansen's prize winning chili. I mean, it was just, it was, it was made with brisket, you know, which I, I'm not even sure that follows the, the, the rules of chili, okay? That's more like a brisket stew, but hey, I, you know, who cares when it's that good, right? I mean, it was just amazing, uh, but uh, the, everything was just, and you guys got here early and helped out. You stayed late and you helped out. Everybody was rolling tables and chairs off to the side. People were going around uh, cleaning up. It was just such a great victory, such a great day. And that's all because of the help of God. And that's one victory, but God wants to give us victory after victory after victory. Let's trust him for victories. And let's decide we're going to be focused and we're going to be discerning so that we can celebrate victories with God. Amen.